Good morning. Uh, my name is Missy Rich. I'll be reading from Daniel 5. King Belshazzar made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem, and the king and his lords and his wives and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and of silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. Immediately the fingers of a human hand appeared and wrote on the plaster of the wall of the king's palace opposite the lampstand. And the king saw the hand as it wrote. Then the king's color changed and his thoughts alarmed him. His limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. Then Daniel brought, was brought in before the king. The king answered and said to Daniel, You are that Daniel, one of the exiles of Judah, whom the king my father brought from Judah. I have heard of you that the spirit of God's is in you, and that light and understanding and excellent wisdom are found in you. Now the wise men, the enchanters, have been brought in before me to read this writing and make known to me its interpretation, but they could not show the interpretation of the matter. But I have heard that you can give interpretations and solve problems. Now if you can read the writing and make known to me its interpretation, you shall be clothed with purple and have a chain of gold around your neck and shall be the third ruler of the kingdom. Then Daniel answered and said before the king, Let your gifts be for yourself and give your rewards to another. Nevertheless, I will read the writing to the king and make known to him the interpretation. O king, the most high God of Nebu gave Nebuchadnezzar your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne and his glory was taken from him. He was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven, until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it his will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this, but you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And the vessels of his house have been brought in before you, and you and your lords, your wives, and your concubines have drunk wine from them. And you've praised the gods of silver and gold, of bronze, iron, wood, and stone, which do not see or hear or know, but the God in whose hand is your breath, and who, whose all are all your ways you have not honored. Then from his presence the hand was sent, and the, this writing was inscribed. And this is the writing that was inscribed. Mene, mene, tekel, and Parson. This is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances and found wanting. Perez, your kingdom is divided and given to the Medes and the Persians. Then Belshazzar gave the command, and Daniel was clothed with purple, a chain of gold was put around his neck, and a proclamation was made about him that he should be the third ruler of the kingdom. That very night, Belshazzar, the Chaldean king, was killed, and Darius, the 
Medi received the kingdom, being about 62 years old. Word of the Lord. You can be seated. Thank you, Missy. Good morning, everyone. So I think this is a very interesting text. Uh, certainly for, for some, it's familiar. I think, and if it's, this is a story that you haven't heard before, you certainly are familiar with an idiom that comes from this story, which is the writings on the wall. And we use that a lot in our culture. Uh, I also think this, this story is really interesting because I, I think in some ways it applies to parents of teenagers. And what I mean by that is you look at this text and you're like, see, this is why you shouldn't go to parties. <laughs> this is why you shouldn't go you know, and hang out with that crew because you don't know what's going to happen in there. Right? You know, something may, something may pop off and you go hanging out with your friends and we don't know what's going on in there. Let me tell you one thing. If I'm at a party and a hand appears on the wall, I'm out of there. All right. I'm, I'm not staying for that kind of party. I don't care what's, what, what they got going, what kind of music playing, who's in there. I see a hand, some fingers, I'm getting out of there quick. Uh, but, you know, we, we, we have this sort of posture, right? I think whether you're a parent or uh, someone who, who cares about others that... Um, are in a part of their, a season of their life in which being influenced by others really matters. Uh, being influenced by others really matters. And I think, again, to go back to just to, you know, our youth just left the room for a study, but I, you know, you, we all remember that part of life, also, you know, being teenagers or also being a college age, like early, early 20s. Some of you are there right now. And, you know, say to our parents, you know, can I just go? Can I just be a part of something and have fun? Can I just be involved in that? Why can't I just go and participate? You know, what's wrong with it? After, you know, didn't you have your time? Now is my time. I want to be able to get in there and enjoy my life and, and start to experience new things. And so we want to know, for those who are concerned for others who want to get involved in things that seem questionable, and even as we think about our own lives, and getting involved in things that we may not know whether it's the right thing to get involved. We want to know what's going on in there. What's happening in this place? Now, you think of a feast, a party. It is a, uh, a part of a product of culture making. It's a part of our culture. So a feast or a party is, in some respect, a microcosm of what, it, what we mean by culture. Culture is what we make of the world, right, in both senses of the term, how we interpret it, how we imagine it, what we think uh, the world is for, but also what we do with it. And the feasting is certainly a part of culture. Partying is part of our culture. And so we, we want to know what, what's going on in there, what's going on in our culture. Is that something that I can participate in? Can I participate in it faithfully? And certainly if you're one who identifies as a Christian today, you're thinking, how can I participate in a culture in a way that honors God, that glorifies him. And so, um, you know, as we look at uh, what's going on inside, you may wonder, does, does our Heavenly Father approve of what's happening in our culture? Does he approve of this? And, and, and as we're trying to answer that question, there may be, there's some typical responses. Like we either just bury that question and assimilate, just join the culture, get involved, we don't care you know, how it shakes out. We just get in there. Or we separate ourselves. That's usually what we do. So we assimilate or we separate. Um, but but we, we inherently know that just assimilating to any kind of culture without any kind of thought, whatever, around us is 
and it's, it's not good, right? Biblically speaking, it's just not good to just go ahead and assimilate carte blanche, right? Just go, go for it, um, even if we do do it ourselves, we know. But separation from the culture seems to feel a lot safer. It feels holier just to, just to separate yourself and not be a part of what's going on, right? A part of what's happening around us. After all, doesn't the Bible say to the people of God, come out from among them? Doesn't the Bible say that? So I want to address this morning this whole posture of separation, this whole posture of wanting to be uh, uh, apart from everything that's going on, not being really being involved in the culture around us. I just went to a, a conference this weekend. Some of you were there, Movement Day, which has happened at the uh, Charlotte Convention Center. And one of the things that they addressed uh, among many problems that are facing our city and trying to approach some uh, effective and uh, sustainable solutions for addressing the problems of our city together as God's people, one of the things that they talked about was just that the connection between uh, this current generation and the generation coming behind it, so you know, typically called millennials and Gen Z, although we have to be careful with labels and that sort of deal, but let's just say young adults and uh, teenagers. And, and, and thinking about um, that generation and its connection to the church, did you know that nine out of 10 young adults in the Charlotte area have been raised as Christians. That's not a surprise. I mean, it's still, in some sense, a kind of Christianized kind of culture. So they've been raised as Christians. They're familiar with the church and all that sort of deal. But only 64% identify themselves as Christian. Only 64. Now, now for some of you who, like, are, you know, who've had hard, hard times with exams in college or high school, you think, 64, that's not bad. That's a, that's a D, you know? I can make it. Right? Um, I passed. Yes. <laughs> I got a testimony back there. See? You know, but, but you think about it, there's still, you're still talking about 36%. That's a lot of people. 36. Wow. Uh, 36% of people, three out of 10, uh, only, only three out of 10 attend church. Only three out of 10. And, and not, not necessarily because they're hostile to the Christian faith or any kind of faith in particular, but there's just sort of an apathy about religious things. And I think part of what we have to face today as a church is we have to look at ourselves and ask, has our faith been unhelpfully disconnected from our culture? But maybe one of the reasons why so many are disconnected from the church and yet are are, 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 but just apathetic about the church is because the church has been apathetic about the culture. We've been apathetic about the world. So, so, so with that kind of faith, like who wants that, right? Who, who wants that kind of faith that is not involved, that is not connected with our culture? That is, it, it feels unbiblical or it feels like a faith that no one really wants to own at all. It, it, it doesn't get you excited. It doesn't help you connect any sort of meaning to the real world. But we continue to ask this question about our culture. What, what's going on in there? Right? We need to ask that question. What, what, what's going on in there? And, and how would God have us relate to our so-called worldly culture? And I believe Daniel helps us to see 
with our eyes wide open, he helps us to answer this question, to figure it out. He helps us to see that, our, that in fact, uh, some things about, about our culture, that our culture is, in fact, anxious. Culture is anxious. Our culture has also been judged. It has been. Yet, our culture also has an invitation. So our, Daniel helps us see that our culture is anxious, our culture has been judged, and yet our culture also has an invitation. What do I mean by this anxiety? Well, I mean, we just read some of this, right? So look at verse 1. Verse 1, again, it says that uh, King Belshazzar, you know, made a great feast for a thousand of his lords and drank wine in front of the thousand. So he's having a good time. He's bringing everybody in. And says, hey, let's just drink. Belshazzar, when he tasted the wine, commanded that the vessels of gold and of silver that Nebuchadnezzar, his father, had taken out of the temple in Jerusalem be brought, that the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines might drink from them. Then they brought in the golden vessels that had been taken out of the temple, the house of God in Jerusalem. And the king and his lords, his wives, and his concubines drank from them. They drank wine and praised the gods of gold and silver, bronze, iron, wood, and stone. They were having a blast, right, at God's expense, right, right um, almost literally, right? These are expensive pieces of, of, of um, treasury from God's temple, and they're having a good time. Now, you don't know this from the text. I mean, you know, because when you first look at it, you just see Belshazzar and his officials and wives and concubines drinking um, this food as well, but I think it, it just mentions wine to let you know that, that this is, you know, at this feast, they're intoxicated, right? Everyone's full. Everyone's in, in a, they're in a different zone, right? Um, but what you don't know, uh, but it, you can find out pretty easily is if you look, you look into history, is that something's happening behind the scenes here. Something is happening under the surface. Belshazzar was the king of a fragile kingdom, the Medes and the Persians had already defeated the Babylonian Empire decisively. They had already conquered them in another city just miles away from Babylon. And so now the Medes and the Persians were pressing at the gates. They were laying siege to the city. And if you know anything about you know, military sort of tactics, I don't know a whole lot either, but I, I know also, but I do know that when a siege is done, no one can get out. So when the enemy is at the gates, nobody can get out. And so all that you have left to survive is what, what you already have among you. So you, so you, just, you just bring out stuff. If, you, if, if all you have is some peanut butter in the fridge, that's what you're going to eat. You, you can't go to Walmart and get some other food because as soon as you go out the door, the, the enemy is waiting for you. So you got to stay there and use this whatever, whatever you got, that's what you're going to eat. And so Belshazzar and his lords, and so they're, they're anxious because they're, they're thinking, this is it. The, the kingdom is about to be done, but Belshazzar, he, he puts on a, a good face. You know, have you known somebody who's, you know, the, the trouble is, is facing them, right? They're literally, as we say again, right, the writing's on the wall, and yet they, you know, they kind of put on a, a face and, and kind of, you know, show up and, and, and kind of look like, oh, I'm, I'm so cool. I'm cool. Don't worry about me, right? You've seen people do that. Maybe you've done that too. Belshazzar does this. He, he, he calls this feast. He calls it together. He gets all of his officials, and he says, hey, God, hey guys, don't worry. You know, we're, we're still okay. We're still on top. Don't worry about it. You know, let, let's, just have a, let's just have a party. Let's have a good time. Forget about, 
what's going on outside the gates. Don't look at that. Let's just get drunk. You know, we won't even, we won't even think about that stuff anymore. But what's going on under the surface is this deep anxiety. They were about to lose the kingdom. Like, it was about to be it. It's curtains. But instead of calling on the Lord, they decided to throw a keg party. So, it, so what you see is this sort of last-ditch attempt to, to boost the morale of the leaders, right? That to say, like, we're, we're, we're still good. Um, there's this attempt to stand tall before the shadow of death. Death is just waiting for them. And, and you think about it, it's just, it's, it's a proud and foolish thing to do. Why? Because there's no way at this point that the Babylonians could defeat the Persians. There's no way they could do it. I mean, they had been decisively defeated. But you see the king still trying to be strong until the fingers appear. And the, the scriptures tell us, well, it says here that when it says that he, that the king's color changed and that his, his thoughts alarmed him and his limbs gave way and his knees knocked together. I mean, it's literally saying he fainted. And you think of how embarrassing that is for the king of the Babylonian empire. Now, if you've been with us for the past couple of weeks, you remember that the Babylonian empire, according to the Lord, you know, for all like you know, a, a, a man-centered uh, uh, kingdoms. Was a, the Babylonian Empire was the gold standard. And Belshazzar had inherited the gold standard. And, but, but now it's all coming apart. And, and, and so, you know, he's, he, he's, he, he's supposed to have the, be able to stand strong and, 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 and be able to take whatever's coming. But as soon as he sees those fingers, he's done. The king faints. And <laughs> he's no longer the source of confidence for those around him, he had hit rock bottom with his anxiety. And his anxiety had just completely overpowered him. And it overpowers our culture, and maybe it has overpowered us as well, when we realize that we cannot defeat death. We just can't do it. Deep down, our culture is terrified. Because it, realize that Everything that we're trying to build, and I've said this a number of times, and I never tire of saying it over and over again because it's the truth, but that our culture is a house of cards. Like, just look at the modern experiment. The think, think back to when, you know, there was a time and when we said that um, God is no longer king. You know, take him off the throne and let's put human reason up on top and that we'd be able to figure out how to make progress and eventually get to a perfect civilization just by our own knowledge, that eventually we could get there. If you know better, you can do better, right? But how does that work out? I mean, with the ascent of the modern era, we've had mass violence, we've had global exploitation, we've had digital alienation. Like, all these things have been the result of the so-called modern experiment. And then the, 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 the sort of, like, post, so-called post-modern, post-everything kind of culture hasn't really done any better, right? Because, you know, if you're coming after that, then you're saying, well, you know, we, we did wrong by taking the spiritual out of things. We need to kind of bring the spiritual back in. And so what, what we have today is sort of this, this mixture, right, of us, humanity, still being able to figure things out, but we still need a little bit of help from some kind of supernatural realm, but which we 
in some ways have some kind of control over it. And some people will call it like a neo-pagan kind of way of understanding the world. But you know, there's something there, some kind of impersonal force that we can tap into, or, what, or you know, you got to dig down and, and reconnect with your soul, your spirit. Right? And we hear a lot of this today, that the self-help books and all that kind of stuff speak a lot about spirituality and about the strength that is within our soul, right? And tapping into the divine spark, which, which is within, right? Not, not outside of you, but within, right? What, what's in here. Uh, and, and, and that hasn't really worked out either because we want promises. We, our culture, we want promises that everything is going to work out, that everything is going to be okay in the end. But if we're looking to spiritual sources within us, that we have no basis on which to believe those promises. Like, my, me, us, as individuals, if we're depending on a divine spark within us, how do we know that what we hope for will come to pass? We have no real basis for that. So our culture is anxious. Right? Look at this. Look at verse 26. Daniel interprets the handwriting to Belshazzar. He says, this is the interpretation of the matter. Mene, God has numbered the days of your kingdom and brought it to an end. And he says, Tekel, you have been weighed in the balances, found wanting. Our attempts to build this self-sufficient, self-righteous culture apart from dependence on a holy and gracious God has left us at the mercy of sin and death. Our ways have been weighed and found wanting. Right? But so on what can we trust? And we can trust God's word. We can trust his word for deliverance. Now, some people will look at a certain text, scriptures, Ones like this, Daniel chapter 5, some people look at it and say, I don't, I don't know. You know, you're telling me I shouldn't really rely on, you know, the, the, the spiritual force within me or something out there. You're telling me I shouldn't completely just rely on reason, but I, 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 you're asking me to rely on Scripture? Well, doesn't Scripture talk about, doesn't it say that there's this king named Belshazzar? Well, I don't know. You know, I look in history and it looks like after Nebuchadnezzar that, uh, you know, there was, I don't see a Belshazzar. There was a ruler named Nabonidus, right? That, you know, he was there. And so some people looked at that and say, well, look, see, there are facts like this that shows that I don't know if I can really depend on God's word. But hold on just a second, because, it, uh, and you look back and you can go and you can research this for yourself, but as scholars uh, and archaeologists kept doing their work, they eventually found documents that showed that Nabonidus had a co-regent, someone else who was ruling along with him. So Nabonidus had in inherited the kingdom from Nebuchadnezzar, and he was actually in another city within the Babylonian Empire, and he left someone else to rule in Babylon. And that other person was Belshazzar. So that's why when Belshazzar makes this promise to Daniel, or to, you know, and, I, and I, we didn't go through this text, when he makes the promise to the enchanters and the other Chaldeans, and he says, like, if you can interpret this for me, 
I'm going to give you the robe, the gold chain, two chains, whatever, right? And he's like, you know, and, and he's like, and I'm going to make you the third ruler of the kingdom, right? Because that was the only spot left to give. You had Nabonidus and Belshazzar were already ruling. So, and so there's archaeological evidence for even just this text right here, which at first, when people first looked at it, they said, well, we don't see Belshazzar there. So, there's a, so evidence has, it continues to come forward. So if we would just hang in there, I think, right, as we uh, 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 come to the scriptures with judgment, maybe we need to slow down for a second and just, just sit with it for a while. And, and, and begin, to, begin to see and the test to really see if God's word is true. Our culture needs his word. But in our culture, there may be great music. There may be five-star dishes at the, at the feast. But there's a deep anxiety that is under the surface because death itself is at the gate. So our culture is anxious, but our culture has also been judged. Now, this is always a hard thing. You know, to be able to, to say from a pulpit, you know, regardless of where I, I may think most of you are with the Christian faith, it's always a hard thing to talk about. Um, so, you know, I mean, we, we've all have had terrible experiences with, I, I would say probably most of us have had terrible experiences with people um, talking about hell and brimstone and judgment and all that kind of stuff. And, and like, you know, maybe some of you are in, in here because you've had bad experiences uh, with, with people talking about judgment and all that sort of deal. So I know about that. I know that. But if you hang in with me for a second, I, I think you'll see that, you know, that there's, there's something going on here that maybe we haven't considered when we think of God's judgment. Our culture has been judged because it has dishonored the Lord. Verse 21, it talks about, he says, uh, Daniel is talking to Belshazzar, and he, 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 he's about to give him this interpretation and this, and this is indictment that comes forward. He says, the most high God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, further down, have not humbled your heart, though you, get this, though you what? You knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. And how did Belshazzar dishonor God? How did he do that? Didn't he just have a feast, right? He had this great feast and he, you know, with his lords and he brought them in. Didn't he just bring in his, his wives and, and concubines and, and, and maybe, you know, there probably some, some other friends and, and people there. Didn't he just bring in some gold and silver and bronze and, and wood and stone? Like, okay, so what it belong to God, right? How, 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 is this, how is what he's doing? How is it dishonoring to God? Well, look, let's think about our own culture today. Like the lords, which represent industry, which represent commerce, which represent government, which represent justice. How have we taken those things and dishonored God with it? How, how, have, we, how have we messed up the scales of justice and, and, and made it work in the, in the, and for the, uh, the benefit of the oppressor rather than for those who are being oppressed? How have we messed up commerce so that it benefits those who are uh, consistently enfranchised and, 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 ha and is disadvantaged to those who are disenfranchised. How have we taken, like Belshazzar has taken his wives and concubines, how have we taken sexuality and how have we taken beauty and, and health and how have we taken these things and used them in ways that have hurt our neighbors and have hurt ourselves? How have we taken gold and silver and bronze and iron and wood and stone, things like the arts 
and spirituality and food and nature and technology. And how have we taken these things? And, and the, although we've tried to do good with them, we have also taken it and spoiled it and used them in ways that, that harm others. And because of that, it dishonors the Lord. Do you see these lords? Do you see these wives, these concubines? Do you see these materials that Belshazzar has gathered for himself to pump up himself, to exalt himself? We have to ask ourselves how we have done the same thing in our culture. I think it wouldn't take that long to come up with some answers and to see that we have not used all these things which are good in all times to honor the Lord. We dehumanize others when we see violent actions in commerce. We see violent actions in the arts and in food and in health. We tell God that we can save ourselves even though he is the God in whose hand is your breath and whose are all your ways. All of these come from the Lord of heaven, Daniel tells us, but um, we use these things to dishonor God and to bring false hope to a dying culture. And what's worse, Daniel says to Belshazzar, is you knew better. You knew better. Verse 18, he says, O king, the most high God gave Nebuchadnezzar your father. Right? And when he says your father, he's not literally his dad or his grandfather, but it's just like, you know, he's the one that's come after him. So, so it's like he's, he's a son of the, of the, the king. Uh, just, like, just like we say, like, uh, that those who came after King David were sons of David. Just like how Jesus is the son of David. But, um, O king, the most high God give Nebuchadnezzar. Gave Nebuchadnezzar, your father, kingship and greatness and glory and majesty. And because of the greatness that he gave him, all peoples, nations, and languages trembled and feared before him. Whom he would, he killed, and whom he would, he kept alive. Whom he would, he raised up, and whom he would, he humbled. But when his heart was lifted up and his spirit was hardened so that he dealt proudly, he was brought down from his kingly throne, and his glory was taken from him. So there's a, there was a cautionary tale. Right, that Belshazzar knew all about. It says uh, Belshazzar, uh, Nebuchadnezzar, was driven from among the children of mankind, and his mind was made like that of a beast, and his dwelling was with the wild donkeys. He was fed grass like an ox, like totally humiliated, and his body was wet with the dew of heaven until he knew that the Most High God rules the kingdom of mankind and sets over it whom he will. And you, his son, Belshazzar, have not humbled your heart, though you knew all this. But you have lifted up yourself against the Lord of heaven. You saw this. So therefore, mene, mene, teko parson. You knew. But now, judgment. You knew that our world was used to, was, it has, is enchanted with the glory of God. There was a time in our culture when we knew that every flower and every mountain and every human being was charged with the glory of its, of its creator. There was a time in which we all knew that, 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 that God's activity was at work 
in every little thing from our homes all the way to the mighty rivers that God was in at work in all things and it was at work everywhere. But we have forgotten. We've thrown away that significance. We've thrown away that glory. We've thrown away that weight that God has given to us and to his great creation. So our identity has become tied to impersonal forces. Our identity has become tied to our personal preferences. We are not as strong as we think. And we are guilty. Romans chapter 1 says this, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men, who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them, because God has shown it to them. For his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, has been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without Without excuse, for although they knew God, they did not honor him as God or give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkening. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images, gold, silver, wood, iron, stone, right, resembling mortal men and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore, God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. We become self-sufficient and self-righteous. Right? My, 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 my dignity, it, just, it depends on my works. I can save myself. We can save ourselves. But that self-sufficient, self-righteous culture will come to an end. It has been weighed and found wanting. It will eventually fall to the powers of death and the devil. Death and the devil are waiting at the gate, waiting at the gate of our feast, the feast of our culture. So what should we do about it? What do we do with our culture? Okay, because I, I, I think if you're like, you know, you know, if you're if you're a Christian and you've been you know you've been looking at the, the culture and stuff like that, and, and you you hear this what, what Daniel's done and stuff like that, this is the part where you say, yeah, let's uh, let come on, let's just give it to him. And Daniel makes his pronouncement, he makes his interpretation, right? He gives his interpretation and like, yeah, that's it, Daniel. Just go in there, go into that party and tell people, y'all nasty, y'all ratchet. You know, this is, y'all need to stop this, right? And that's, that's what we should do, right? Isn't that what we should do? Just go in there and just tell people they're just wrong and they messed up and, 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 and y'all just going to hell, right? That, that sort of deal, right? Or, uh, or, or as Christians, do, do we continue to take that posture where we're, we're in the culture, but we're kind of like, we're not really involved. We're actually more like wallflowers. The feast is happening. The party's there, but we're just kind of like there on the side and watching, right? And we're saying like, you know, this is the time where we get to say, yeah, you know, this party is dead anyways. I don't, you know, I don't want to be a part of this, right? So I'm just going to stand there and watch and gloat and laugh at people from the sidelines and shake my head, right? And, 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 and look at what other people are doing and just hold them in contempt and judgment. And that's right, Daniel, you tell them. They're indicted. They've been judged. They've been found wanting and... and, and and, and death is coming. It's going to swallow you up. That's it. Good for you. It seems like that's what Daniel's doing. But it's not. Remember, 
that there's a better feast on the other side of that gate. What do I mean? What could have happened if Belshazzar had turned to the Lord instead of to himself? Now, God wouldn't have given to him Babylon. He wouldn't have restored the kingdom, right? Because if you remember, we went over this, if you've been here with us, we went over this a few weeks ago, back in Daniel chapter 2. Right? He said, he told Nebuchadnezzar that, you know, after your kingdom, another's going to come. And then eventually all these kingdoms will fall, right? And God's kingdom will come and be established, right? So they, remember, there was the image of the stone that had come and hit the feet of the statue. And, and if you don't remember that, just go back and read uh, Daniel chapter 2. So, it's, you know, he wasn't necessarily going to get back what was about to be taken away from him. But... Belshazzar would have been given something better, something new. That the, 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 the enemy of mankind was coming to claim him. That the enemy of mankind was coming to take his life. But if he would have turned to God, he would have seen that God is coming too. And God would have given to Belshazzar and all who had followed him, all who had followed his example, a place in his coming, an eternal kingdom. Believers ought to proclaim the, the demise of our world system so that our neighbors might enter the kingdom of God. And we should be able to proclaim, open the gates and receive God. Open the gates and receive him. Listen to this picture from one of the prophets, Isaiah, chapter 25. He says this, that on this mountain, the Lord of hosts will make for all peoples a feast of rich food, a feast of well-aged wine, of rich food full of marrow, of aged wine, well-refined. And he will swallow up on this mountain the covering that is cast over all peoples, the veil that is spread over all nations, he will swallow up death forever. And the Lord God will wipe away tears from all faces and the reproach of his people he will take away from all the earth. For the Lord has spoken. It will be said on that day, behold, this is our God. We have waited for him that he might save us. This is the Lord. We have waited for him. Let us be glad and rejoice in his salvation. But Jesus says that kingdom when he came, he said, that kingdom is already at hand. And he said, repent for the kingdom of God, the kingdom of heaven is at hand. But Jesus and, and his disciples, look at it. You got to catch this now. When you go into the, the New Testament, you read the Gospels. When you see when Jesus comes, he and his disciples, they had many moments in which they were fighting against evil. Fighting against it both physically and immaterially. Fighting against it spiritually. Healing the sick. Casting out demons, right? Things like that. Now, Pastor Tim Keller, when he talks about it, he, he points out that at, at one time when, uh, when people were looking at, were talking to Jesus and saying, you know, what is this that you, you and your disciples have been doing? And he says that these works have been done by the finger of God. And he points out, and when he says that, when he says, he, he says the finger of God intentionally harking back to this image in Daniel chapter 5. That when he, when he sees this work of people being liberated 
from the fear of death and the devil that this is God's new handwriting on the wall. Whenever God's people deal a blow to evil and uplift what is good for the glory, the glory of God, we become the handwriting of God. And we proclaim mene, mene, or to say it in a, a, a more contemporary term, time's up. The writing is on the wall. Time's up for selfishness in our homes. Time is up for backstabbing on our jobs. Time is up for human trafficking in our city. Time is up for economic injustice in our world. By the mercy of God, we can proclaim only by God's grace, O oh, enemy of my soul, you who love to see mankind dishonor God and destroy itself, you who rejoice over broken families, you who rejoice over depression, you who rejoice over pedophilia, and you who rejoice over bodies in the streets, you have been weighed and found wanting. Your time is up. God's kingdom is coming, healing the sick, renewing the broken down, cleansing the guilty, and reclaiming the addicted. We are called to demonstrate that kingdom, and call our neighbors to repent and believe, becoming God's new handwriting on the wall. God's new handwriting off the wall, in the middle of our culture. This is amazing. Like right now, today, St. Patrick's Day. If you know anything about Patrick, this was a a man who was enslaved by pirates who were from Ireland. They, they, they took him away. They stole him, made him a slave, and then somehow he escaped, right? And somehow he, he got out, and he went back to his homeland, and, and, and the Lord began to do something in his life. Now, when he went back to his homeland, he's, now he's from Britain, okay? So he, he's an Anglo, and he, he, he goes back to his homeland, but then he, he decides that he's going to go back to the land where he experienced oppression and to seek their liberation, that to, to bring to that land the gospel. Now, what's interesting about this is that, you know, I, I'm from New York. I grew up in New York City. And one of the interesting things about the history of my city is that the Irish were traditionally oppressed by the elite culture of the city. And so you go to Manhattan and you go to places like the Lower East Side and other neighborhoods where that are, they're traditionally Irish. And these were places where the Irish were marginalized and were, were put over here because they weren't part of the Anglo-Saxon Protestant like mainline culture. And so they were oppressed, marginalized, under-resourced, right, uh, uh, um, left to the side and, 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 and uh, uh, used as a, as a caricature and often used to just for uh, menial services and not allowed to make their way up the social ladder. And here's what's interesting. This is a culture, these are Anglos that were doing this to the Irish that, were, that came into the city. They forgot, they forgot Patrick, who was one of their own, who had loved on the Irish, who had went back to the country, and what, what, what Patrick did there, what Patrick was doing, is he showed the country of Ireland that God loves you, that God loves the Irish, God loves this nation, God loves this culture, and, but the, his descendants had forgotten about this. 
But this is a call that we have before us today is to not to not just look at the culture and those that are different from us and that are around us and to say to, to look and, and, and judge and separate ourselves, but rather to lean in and to seek liberation and to seek the dignity of the, of the peoples and the, the cultures that are around us and to let them know through our demonstration and through our proclamation that God indeed sees you and he loves you. We have come off the wall. We are called to come off the wall. Not to condemn the world, for it already stands condemned, right? We don't, we don't come off the wall to condemn the world, but to proclaim with love that God has sent a king to save it and to save us. Jesus, we look at him, he, he didn't interpret God's judgment like Daniel did, right? He, he, didn't, he didn't just give a word of interpretation as he did, but he did even better. He suffered. He suffered it. He suffered that judgment for our sake. The, it, the one who was eternally beloved by God. Jesus was, was judged as a sinner, who, uh, as one who was weighed and, and wanting before a God who was holy and just, even though there wasn't one sinful bone in, in his body, he was crucified outside the city, beyond the wall, right? Crucified, claimed a, 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 like a common criminal by death so that we could be freed from the anxiety and the guilt that holds us hostage. Living off the wall, becoming a, a, a culture of the gospel is what God has called us to do. A culture of the gospel that is feasting in hope and suffering with others around us in love until Christ returns. But we don't do it perfectly. We're becoming. We're becoming this. Sometimes we mess up. Sometimes we do assimilate. And we, we assimilate to, to unjust revelry that's, you know, celebrating the, the achievements of sexism and violence. Sometimes we, we, we completely separate ourselves in a way that is unhelpful to our neighbors, especially those who are under-resourced or vulnerable or, or, or voiceless. But, but every generation of God's people has an opportunity. Every generation. Every generation has a chance, by God's grace, to deeply demonstrate and proclaim the gospel. We can all grow we can become God's handwriting on the wall as we engage in government, in the arts, sexuality, education, and our own neighborhoods, the whole gamut of human culture, and do it with the spirit and with the word. See, our active involvement in, in culture means, means something. It means something as we get involved. It means something as we participate. It means something as we lift up the things that belong to God, we lift those things up back to him. Glorifying God can mean nothing but life for all cultures and nations that remain in his hand. We can point the way. We can point the way if we get off the wall and join God's kingdom movement around us, even in our own backyards. He'll be our help as we do that. God says the time is now. Let us pray.
Father, we thank you that although death may be upon us, so is eternal life. And as you are with us, we can faithfully, confidently, even as we struggle, and don't get it right <laughs> most times, it's not getting it right, we can, we can still be involved in the lives of those around us. We can still be involved in our culture in a way that glorifies you. We need your help, Lord. We definitely cannot do it by ourselves. And we should be the first ones to admit that often we have uh, 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 taken the things that you have made and we, we have laughed and we have thought that uh, in the face of anxiety and, and just the, all the, the, the fruits of death around us, sometimes we look at it, Lord, and it's, it's hard. And sometimes we just want to escape. Sometimes we don't want to be involved in anything around us. We, we just want to get out ourselves. We just want to find some way to self-medicate. And we want to find some way to forget that uh, what we just saw. But Lord, you have interpreted things and we cannot forget. We've seen it with our own eyes. We've heard you speak. We ask you, Father, to restore our faith. If that's where we are right now, Lord, if we're struggling, please. Restore our faith. Remind us that what we hope for, the promises of your good creation being restored, are yes and amen in Jesus Christ. Help us to lean on him once again so that we can go out just little by little, day by day, minute by minute, one day at a time, doing our small part to bring glory to you in the midst of a culture that is filled with a deep anxiety. Pray these things, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.